it's my great pleasure to introduce uh, this evening's speakers and indeed myself. I'm the publisher and editor of artcritical.com. Who is, who is here at the review panel for their first visit? Fantastic. Great. Well, to keep you in the loop and as a refresher for everybody else, let me just run through the format of what we're doing and you will decide for yourself why we're doing it. Um, what we're doing is we've been to see, hopefully, five exhibitions. I have good reason to believe that all the panelists have seen all five <laughs> exhibitions. But just out of curiosity, if you saw three or more of the exhibitions we're discussing this evening, uh, don't be shy, there's no penalty, no reward. Put your hands up. Anyone see three or more of the shows we're discussing? Right. Okay, and two shows? Anyone see two shows that we're discussing? Getting better? And anybody managed to see one show that we're discussing, but not? Uh, yes, one only. Very good. Well, for the rest of you, um, for some of the shows are still up, and there'll be a chance to go see them. Some, I think, the uh, Hyde officially closed, um, and maybe Majumda has also closed. But Hyde is open until next Sunday. Excellent. So. That is indeed one of the purposes of this series, as well as to, to digest and get people to have seen exhibitions that we're discussing here. Um, maybe the conversation will be so tantalizing and bewildering that if you hadn't seen it, you'll be able to trot along afterwards and catch, catch the show that we were talking about. So great. Um, my guests this evening are Jason Farrago making his first appearance on the review panel. Jason is an art critic at the New York Times, and he's the founder and publisher of the magazine Even. And Karen Wilkin, uh, a doyen of American criticism, she's an art critic at the Wall Street Journal, also writes at the Hudson Review and the New Criterion and elsewhere, author of books on Mirandi, Cezanne, and other subjects, an authority on Stuart Davis, and uh, an instructor, as, as indeed am I, at the New York Studio School. Um, you, myself, you've heard about, and Seth Rodney is an editor at Hyperallergic and is um, an instructor at the Parsons School. And he has a, a book coming out from Routledge in the spring, a critique of the contemporary museum experience. So ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your panel. Great. Well, uh, panelists, we can swivel around and now enjoy the video. This evening is slightly unusual. We're seeing one video for the whole evening. We have a very full agenda this evening, with five shows to discuss by artists born in Scotland, Israel, Poland, the United States and India, working in almost as diverse a range of mediums, sound installation, architectural installation, video, painting, photography. The choice of what to discuss at the review panel has to do with four people's tastes and logistics, and diversity is the preference, but somehow a curatorial logic often emerges. Organising images and thoughts for this evening and deciding on an order, a common denominator did present itself to me. How the artist negotiates space within their work, in how their work is seen, and as an implied motif. And as luck would have it, one of our artists has written a lengthy polemic 
against space. That's James Hyde writing in the Brooklyn Rail last year. At Cat House proper in the southern reaches of Carroll Gardens, James Hyde is showing four monumentally sized paintings on stretched billboard vinyl and two earlier works painted on inkjet prints. The four larger pieces are abstract paintings that riff on details from the late Baroque master Alessandro Magnasco that Hyde had sent to a commercial printer. The dark, swirling romanticism of these engrossing canvases stands in contrast to the work seen only recently at Freight and Volume, where crisp, modernist abstraction sits atop grainy topographical photographs. According to Alfred MacAdam, reviewing the Magnasco series for The Rail, Hyde is not here to praise, condemn, imitate or parody Magnasco. He uses him as a point of departure. Warsaw-based Anita Grzegorska presents two bodies of work at Lyles and King, Mama, in which her daughter Francesca plays with a lifelike sculptural cast in rubber of the artist herself, and Beauty Masks, in which the artist's features are obscured by post-surgical paraphernalia. According to Hunter Braithwaite, writing in the gallery's press release, Grzegorska uses dark, probing humour to explore sexuality and feminism, maternity and the construction and erasure of the self. Mama is presented in what can be read as a narrative sequence against dark walls in the sunken main gallery space, while a selection of beauty masks are seen on the white walls of the entrance gallery. Books of both projects, following different orders, are on display and available for perusal. Moving north on Forsyth Street, Shangram Majumdar's offspring at Stephen Harvey Fine Art Projects consists of seven paintings, including a polyptych, running on a balcony again. Majumdar, who secured his early reputation as a realist painter, whose work located bodies in space with meticulous, almost obsessive measuring, has been moving towards an increasingly abstract idiom in recent years, although the artist sees his project in terms of observation and process rather than style. In a dialogue with fellow painter Jennifer Coates, published recently at artcritical.com, Majumdar says, I was also thinking about the politicized language around walls and borders. I'd been painting rooms, but I hadn't really considered the walls. The idea of literally getting closer to the wall was a way for the space in the paintings to get more compressed, layer on layer. At Tanya Bonacta, Susan Phillips presents two new acoustic works and a related series of paintings. Seven Tears works with early 17th century English composer John Dowland's celebrated lacrime variations. Seven turntables play recordings of the artist running her finger around the rims of glasses of water filled to different levels. The nearby paintings were made by submerging screen-printed canvases into a salt water bath for varying numbers of days to produce encrustations of salt crystal. The installation on the first floor, A Single Voice, is a large-scale film projection installed with 12 speakers. The score is adapted from Carl Birger Blomdahl's opera Aniara, based on Harry Martinson's poem about astronauts lost in space, 
Reviewing the work in an earlier installation in the UK, Guardian critic Jonathan Jones has described the tension between sound and vision. Quote, The camera almost voyeuristically studies the violinist's face and body as she sits attentively and plays her part. Yet while the eye scrutinizes, the ear empathizes. The music seems a direct, unmediated link between souls. I think we should start with the painters. Let's have a look at James Hyde's show, um, Western Painting Magnasco at Cat House Proper. An interesting move for an artist known for his rather, for a very different sensibility than comes across um, in this, these, these works. Uh, did these seem like James Hyde's to you that you know, Karen Wilkin, or a departure? Well, the answer to that is yes, <laughs> to both of those ideas. Um, he, you remember the Stuart Davis series he did a few years ago, uh, which was, in a sense, doing something similar to what he does with Magnasco. He took details of Stuart Davis' paintings, had them also enlarged to billboard size, and then made them very rough and crusty, which struck me as completely misunderstanding what Stuart Davis was about. Now, I admit I'm prejudiced. I know altogether too much about Stuart Davis. But um, the, the transformation of this very crisp vernacular sensibility into something uh, rough and kind of gestural and messy seemed not very effective. Uh, so in a sense, he's doing the same thing with Magnasco. He's starting with Magnasco images. And, uh, he, but it seems to me he's really gotten at the essence of Magnasco in this because, uh, you know, Magnasco is one of these painters that you, you, oh yes, Magnasco, yes, I haven't thought about him in, you know, 25 years, maybe more. Um, and what's interesting about Magnasco is not his imagery and certainly not the cartoon-like faces. Uh, those of you who know his work know what I'm talking about. Uh, but the way he puts on paint, mm. which is very, uh, lush and crusty in his best paintings. And I think that's what, the, and the tonal uh, richness of uh, Magnasco is, is what uh, Hyde seems to be getting in these. Right. And uh, quite effectively, I think. So in a funny way, um, Magnasco, of interest to us as an accidental proto-modernist, James, oh. <laughs> James Hyde, um, James Hyde, um, turning himself into something of a Baroque or a Mannerist painter, um, despite well, what we know. You Baroque or Mannerist, but I was, um, I'm not sure if my microphone is on, but it, um, yeah, uh, if, it, if we'd gone about this the other way and we'd looked at the canvases and we were told, these are, are, are uh, contemporary works that have been adapted from uh, some figures that you might have heard of from art history. Can you guess who? Um, I would not have put us in the 17th century. Right. Um, I would have said Turner, I would have said Jericho, I would have, I would have been a solid early 19th um, uh, understanding of, of But of, of course those were artists who were looking to um, painters like Magnasco for, for exactly what Hyde seems to have gotten out of them. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, um, yeah, the, um, but it's a romantic sensibility and a landscape sensibility, mm -hmm. which is right. what... Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, there are figures somewhere in those Hyde paintings if you kind of look at them sideways, but they disappear. Um, the handling of paint in these is sort of interesting to me because I don't know if they've been sanded down or not, but they're relatively flat. Mm -hmm. um, there, is, there is some 
uh, a great variety of brushwork in the in the the foreworks. There's some where the uh, the paint has been slathered um, much more energetically, much more um, actively. Others where it seems to have been applied um, in a more deliberate fashion. But the um, uh, the the actual impasto is, 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 is not there. These things are really quite flat, and in that way, they photograph quite well. Um, I'm interested a little bit in that, in the way in which um, the kind of paint handling that you were describing that you see in Magnasco um, <coughs> seems to inspire, but that's really not the sort of end point of these, is it, right? Well, in the funny well, way, I think it, the, we could... Just to get the flatness yeah. issue, I mean, the one that was opposite you as you came into the room, uh -huh. um, had a, a good deal of physicality, yeah. more than some of the others. But the physicality and flatness issue, uh, Seth, I think must go really to the um, heart of his rather eccentric process because he's, he's photographed a very painterly painter and had them printed as vinyl billboards. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, he's adding paint. So the, the back and forth between reproduction and actuality between uh, flatness and painterliness is almost uh, is is being quite aggressively activated, isn't it? As, uh... Yes. Well, uh, <laughs> the issue for me, really, in dealing with painting like this is this kind of work tends to lead precisely to this kind of conversation, where we talk a lot about facture, where we talk about the means by which the employment of the um, uh, sort of intellectual approach married to the hand. My experience of the paintings, though, is that they, I walked into the room and I immediately thought, oh, this again, like this kind of um, sort of intuitive, roiling, uh, uh, overwhelming painting that my tendency is to see it in terms of sort of registers of energy because I'm not that interested in how it came to be. I'm not that interested in um, the sort of intellectual groundwork. I'm really interested in how the painting makes me feel. And in this particular show, two of the paintings I felt were, um, I felt very meh about, but I spent some time looking at the one on the far wall when one enters the room and the one to the left, and I could feel myself kind of falling into that kind of, um, that, that sense of wanting to explore the scene in the way that I do with like Clifford Still sometimes, or I've done with, um, well, yeah, someone like Turner. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, that's my experience of this work. So it's a very, it is actually, a, a, dare one said, a romantic reading. It's one where you uh, allow, allow yourself to be sucked into a kind of an imaginative space, mm -hmm. ironically for a, a man against space. But I think it's against the word space rather than the experience per se, mm. reading his essay. If I could just respond to, to Seth, I mean, the, if when I look at um, big, messy, abstract painting with a, um, uh, a direct sort of response to um, historical uh, uh, predecessors. Um, the, the big man in the room is Richter, right? Um, and I don't think these are particularly conversant with Richter, but as, if I could play the left brain to your, um, I want to talk about 
how it feels. These, um, this sort of Richterite um, uh, question about painting after the end of painting um, mm -hmm. and about how um, one engages with history um, and with um, uh, figures of Western art history in particular uh, as a painter who has been told that all possible avenues for the progress of painting have been exhausted. This is an interesting question for me that just goes be, that, 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 you know, I think that um, uh, ought to be sort of read together with these sort of matters of, of, of feeling. And in, in, these, in these paintings, I did feel that there was a, a, a productive relationship between um, uh, the contemporary artist as someone cursed to have to respond to, um, uh, to history and the artist finding a certain kind of freedom in um, uh, in a post-everything situation, in a situation where things have already been done. And in, on, 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 in, in that left lobe of my brain, I did find them quite fascinating. Yeah. But I, I don't see any Richter connection at all here. I mean, Richter's paintings, which are being looked at as though they were abstract paintings, are not abstract paintings. They're simulacra of abstract paintings, just the way his other works are simulacra of paint chips or newspaper photographs. They're highly, highly conceptualized and have very little to do with it. I think what Hyde is after here, I'm not, this is not a value judgment, I think it's just descriptive. Mm -hmm. um, I, I wasn't thinking about the end of painting with uh, Hyde. I thought of someone who was uh, finding ways of shaking himself loose. Mm -hmm. um, I think they are almost willful misreadings. Um, I think the big difference between the Stuart Davis and the Magnasco is that the Stuart Davis, he, I'm sure he started with Davis because he likes Davis, but he was not putting himself in a position of offering any commentary or homage to uh, Davis. He was simply saying, okay, Davis will do the trick. We'll, we'll, take a, we'll take a snip, we'll take a little fragment mm -hmm. and shore this against my ruin. Uh, he'll blow it up. And it's, it's just a starting point. Um, with with Magnasco, um, it seems like the, the romanticism of the original is catching up with the expressivity of, of what he's actually doing mm -hmm. in terms of the kind of appeal that, that Seth is more interested in, and um, which is just how this works as an image, what, yeah. what sort of apocalyptic mood it puts you in, or, or swirling, what, what the swirling gestalts do to your... Uh, your solar plexus. <laughs> there's, a, there's a poem by Jory Graham called In the Hotel, 3.17 a.m. And um, I don't remember it very well, but it, as I stood there in the, in the exhibition um, at Cat House Proper, I, that poem came to me. It's something, something, the first lines are like, the invincible sponsored by white walls um, dotted here, demurring. What time is it? I want to open up the black water sings in the singing pipes. And it goes on from there. It's just very lyrical and, and sort of free association-y. Um, but there's something about the kind of pinging that I go from line to line in reading that poem. I suggest everyone, if you, have the, if you, can, if you can get, uh, get a hold of it. I think it's on the New Yorker, New Yorker um, uh, page just behind a paywall but it's a beautiful poem and it's a, it was the thing actually that my, that took me through the experience of seeing this oh wow that's 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 praise for the painter beyond what he might have been calculating mm. Mm. let's let's now turn our attention to a very different painter um, 
Shangram Majumda, um, having, I think, his third show with uh, Stephen, maybe more than that, actually. He's a, he's a regular at Stephen Harvey Fine Art Projects. Um, now, here, there is also um, a departure from what we might have known or thought about this painter, because um, in, in earlier work, or rather, in, in the work that really first established his reputation, he was a fastidious kind of realist in a very school of, a very British kind of way, a way that's very familiar to me from people like William Coldstream and Ewan Uglow of really kind mm. of meticulously fixing a, a body in space as far as the empirical, uh, strictly empirical from the sense, in, in, in both, in every sense of the word empirical, measuring, but also personally experiencing. Um, and I wonder if that ethos is carrying across in his more abstract-looking um, current work. I, I don't like to start with the same person twice, uh, but actually, Karen, I know that you, you're somewhat immersed in his Well, I, he's someone who, whose studio I visit uh, right. fairly regularly. And uh, you're right. I mean, the paintings that uh, first established his reputation were... Uh, if we could move the next loop, sorry. Quite meticulously naturalistic. He used to build little uh, stage sets. I think he still does, interiors. yes. Yeah. Well, they tend to sort of stack up in the top shelves. I don't know whether he's still using them. Mm. But uh, there was a group of works in between the, the ones that are in this show and uh, the, the more naturalistic ones, which he hasn't shown at Stephen Harvey because they're too big to right. be on those walls, which were a um, little bit Matissean in, in the way the interiors were flattening out and um, I thought were really very exciting. Um, he's, he's pushing himself somewhere he's never been before in these. And it was, uh, he says it was very much um, because of the time he's spending with his daughter. He had his first child about three years ago. And he's the second painter I know who has undergone this kind of transformation because of fatherhood. The other is a wonderful painter named Enrico Riley, who teaches at uh, Dartmouth, who was a very cerebral, geometric, abstract painter until he had his first child. And he's now painting wild and crazy, uh, somewhat referential. It seems that changing diapers brings out the Jackson Pollock and all of us. So. Uh, well, I think it was more watching this kid run around with demonic energy. I see. These are very engaged fathers, so they're, they're part, of, part of the life. Right. Um, but I, I think what Changram's after here is trying to um, get away from the idea of the painting as window Right. And he's talking about the wall as, as the surface and finding ways of responding to his feelings about the activity and the presence of this kid. Now, whether also, you need to know that, I don't mm -hmm. know. Right. You know. Right. So let's, let's put it to the test. Do we need to know that? Mm -hmm. um, Seth, um, in, in your experience of these paintings, do they, um, what did you get out of them? I happened to go by when Sangram was actually in the, oh. uh, the gallery. Mm -hmm. um, I've actually, oddly enough, had, had a conversation with him, I think about a week ago. He and a mutual friend, artist, introduced us to each other and suggested that I do a studio visit with him. 
And so he said, oh, well, you know, I happen to be in the gallery on Sunday. I'd forgotten that, but it just so happened that I needed to make the visit on Sunday. So I got there and he was there and he was talking to someone else. And I went over to, and, I, and I nodded to him and I introduced myself. And then I said, I'm just going to spend a little time with the paintings. And he said, yes, do your thing. And I did. And my first impression was these paintings feel bigger than they are. They feel kind of immersive. There's a way in which um, they don't try to overwhelm me, but they, but they, are, they are actually quite seductive. There is something about the way he handles space and the way he sort of has these blocks of color that sort of demarcate one area of the canvas as this sort of um, uh, almost in a way that almost in a way that like suggests a body. Um, but then it has the rest of the sort of free flowing and here and there um, a small um, mark. Uh, it, it, it's the kind of painting of the messy abstract, well, this is not that messy, but of the abstraction Best that messy. I experienced. <laughs> right. That's willfully messy. messy, but it still has a kind of a 1950s, 60s art and formal feel. Yeah, but it also, but it's coherent for me, is the thing. Mm -hmm. Visually, it coheres for me. So that actually gives me a way in. Right. Mm -hmm. What do you mean by coherent? You mean that sort of within the frame of the painting, all the object, the parts seem to fit together? Right? Yeah. That's a good way to say it, that the objects seem to fit together. Because yeah. yes. certainly in a formal painting of the 1950s, that can often feel very diffuse, mm -hmm. right? Um, um, the, the, um, uh, the, the softness of the transitions in, in somebody like de Stael or, or Hartung or these sort of 50s French painters that um, we were told we didn't have to pay attention to because America's painting had triumphed. Um, uh, there, there isn't the same kind of, um, yeah, part-to-part -part relations, I guess, um, uh, that, that mm -hmm. I, I found satisfying mm -hmm. in these. There is a, um, uh, you can see the building blocks come together, although mm. I wouldn't want to Insist on that too strongly. It's not one plus one plus one plus one, not at right. all. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah. Yeah. But the, here's someone who has a firm. If you didn't know anything about his earlier work, I think it's apparent this one is someone who has a very firm sense of how to construct. Yeah. The Am I right that there were um, pieces of tape? On, yeah, on one so. or two of them. I yeah. think so. I mean, Yellow tape, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm not 100% yeah. sure what it was yeah. doing there, but as a yeah. process matter. I'm not sure he's 100% sure. They impart a sense of measure. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Don't they, I'm um, sure that's in there somewhere. Mm. You know, he's uh, a very cerebral. I mean, these, these look like very spontaneous improvisational paintings mm -hmm. at first hit. Mm -hmm. And um, I, my experience of them is like Seth, so you get, you know, you find things in them, they're slow. And um, I mean, Shankaram is a really very, very cerebral guy. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. the idea of his doing improvisational painting without that part of him switched yeah. on seems very unlikely. Um, the matter of color is one uh, that I wouldn't mind discussing with you guys, yeah, let's, too. Yeah, let's um, what you have the, to say um, There's quite a bit of primary color, but they're a little more hushed than, than mm -hmm. average. They're not honking mm -hmm. yellows. They're a kind of more canary-like yellow and a kind of sort of whinier red. I guess I would say, um, mm. if I had to, um, I don't know how honest the, the JPEGs are, but they're, they are um, uh, assertive without being particularly loud, I guess I could say. Um, and quite a bit white um, uh, uh, in, in, in a number of them as well. Um, uh, there is a bit of green, but mostly we're in the sort of family of primary colors. And I was interested in that, in the way that color um, is used as a way to construct these parts that you were describing earlier. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, way, the, way, the particularly the yellow painting, the yeah. one, I don't remember the title, but the, the one where the yellow is the dominant color. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
The one that's facing you. In the first yeah, yeah, yeah. one. It's, oh, yeah. it's yeah. gorgeous. It's just yeah. there's something kind of jovial about it. There's mm -hmm. something kind of hopeful. And I had no idea about his family situation mm -hmm. or um, having a new child. But in that painting, one gets a sense that 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 this is that the painting feels like an opportunity. Mm -hmm. Right. I think what what um, Jason said about the colors is. Uh, something that's very, very striking about them. Your first hit is, oh yeah, red, blue, yellow paintings. And the more time you spend with them, you realize, no, these aren't nameable colors. There, mm. There's something going on that's more interesting than that. That's right. Right. Yeah. They, um, I'm privileged to know the artist and con consider him a friend, and that does inhibit some things I might say about them. Um, <laughs> They, they Classic critical considerations that we all <laughs> yeah. have to take in. Yes, yes. Yeah. yes. Uh, the, these paintings are permeated by the intelligence and the, and the decency of the, the man who made them, and that's one level at which I really enjoy them. Um, I kind There's of want a but to... coming here. They seem very out of time. I mean, I know that we don't live in a period which has a... a, a a distinct and obvious, and, a, uh, and that's one of the few liberating good things about the moment we live in, is, is that if you follow art, there isn't a dominant style. But nonetheless, they, they, they feel like, to me, these are, are really good, decent, solid paintings that could have been made almost any time from about 1955 onwards. And I... I, um, I don't think so. I, I, that... <laughs> you look at the James Hyde's, there's no way you'd think they were made in 1604 in the 1600s or Oh, but the they 1500s. look like they could have been made any time after 1985. Ah, well, that's, uh, that's, that's a tight enough moment. <laughs> for those of us who Sorry, count... Sorry, Steph, I couldn't for, for those of us who count art history from Lascaux onwards, uh, 1985 <laughs> is relatively recent enough. Um, no, I'm just putting it out there that... Um, the, I mean, it, it, it's I mean, I was interested to hear from Karen about the bigger paintings that don't fit in Stephen Harvey. Stephen Harvey is a small gallery, and therefore we're seeing small works. And then it's interesting for me to hear Seth's take on the work, which, which has to do with um, them, as it, were, as it were, having a scale that is much more powerful than perhaps their size. And that's, mm -hmm. that Indeed. sends me back to look more mm. sympathetically well, at the work. Speaking more generally, I mean, you know, mm -hmm. we all seem to know that abstract painting seems to be in finer fettle than it's been in decades, despite mm -hmm. the fact that there isn't any abstract, I'm sorry, any um, uh, uh, dominant style, right? No. Um, uh, when the Forever Now happened at MoMA, we all screamed and shouted about how much we hated that show. Nevertheless, MoMA did an abstract painting show, which is... They just did the wrong abstract painting show. And, you know, um, to have somebody like Laura Owens at the Whitney, mm. and to have somebody like Amy Silman, who is um, uh, uh, dominating conversation so substantially right now, is something that was not the case in the 1990s. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and also another great liberation of our moment with abstraction is that, and it's probably one of the reasons that accounts for the, the great health of abstraction, is that it's unfettered by and untethered to any debates about representation. That, um, that in fact, um, ironically, one can just look at abstraction without worrying about whether it's uh, representational, about it's not being representational. That um, in a funny way that abstraction and representation um, at loggerheads in, in, at crucial moments in the mid-20th century, um, at this moment, um, the 
they're just united in being painting and in being handmade and in being whatever else they are. I always think of abstraction and representation as being like Bolsheviks and Mensheviks that find themselves in, together in Paris in exile. And um, they have more in common being Russian and less in common. Actually, uh, it wasn't their the Bolsheviks who were in exile. Well, it some was Bolsheviks. The Mensheviks, yeah. Mensheviks and the royalists. And the royalists, the imperialists. Yeah. The imperialists and the Mensheviks. Including and, my great uncle. And some, <laughs> and some Bolsheviks, the ones who were yes, falling on the wrong, the Trotskyists, perhaps. Yes. I, I hate to be the one to break this to you, David, but okay. I have been told uh, by uh, colleagues that abstraction is patriarchal and sure. imperialist and yes. all kinds of oh, those nasty are the other reasons things. I like it. Yes. You know? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, let's hear what the audience thinks of abstraction and, and, and what they make of Hyde and of um, Majumda. And while we're waiting for the mic to come around, uh, do we have a mic? I hope we have a mic for our audience. Um, let me also make an announcement that I should have made right at the beginning, but um, the audience and panelists and are, are all warmly invited to enjoy a, a drink and a nibble at One Grand Army Plaza just over Eastern Parkway here, the white um, Richard Meyer building, talking about patriarchal, mm -hmm. but um, um, that's on the corner of uh, Grand Army. ACDC also. Right, oh. <laughs> right. Um, and, and that we can, uh, um, we are the, the generously sponsored by the art committee at One Gap. Um, and we can go there you and know, see an exhibition of uh, uh, Anna Delaporte, right? Anna Delaporte is still there, fantastic. Um, do we have our mic now? Yes, great. Um, comments on either Hyde or uh, Majumdar. Yes, Roman, one of my writers, Roman Kalinowski. Hello. Is this on? Yep. All right, well, looking at the, the Hyde show, um, it reminded me quite a bit of Walter um, Benjamin, the only book he wrote during his lifetime, The Origin of German Tragic Drama, in which he wrote about the, uh, the German, German Baroque Trauerspiel. And he, one of the most poignant passages in the book to me is where he talks about the Baroque as an allegorical field of ruins in which the mm. artists and authors of the Baroque sort of picked and scavenged pieces from work that came before and used, used these little allegorical fragments to build the work of their own. And looking at an artist like this who was doing sort of a, a Baroque work after other Baroque work sort of seems like it's taking the ruins from the ruins and making, you know, making something even, even bigger out of that. Even more ruinous, or <laughs> perhaps maybe, I, or re yes. What's to say? Yeah. Great, thank you. Yeah. Well, in a time of complete and total uh, uh, political, economic, and of course environmental ruin, there might be a reason the Baroque seems to mm -hmm. appeal to so many people right now. I was, um, I had a chance to review for the paper a, a show of Baroque art that Luke Timmons put together, and a good number of contemporary artists from Takashi Murakami to. Um, uh, Zygmunt Polko and Kawara, uh, and, and, and I was like, well, that's so interesting. Why is the Baroque, um, and, and, and one of the answers was, it was almost realism for, for these people is the way they wanted to depict the world today. Yes. Uh, James Hyde, Shangram Majumdar, others? Don't be shy. Yes. Hi. One of the things that you haven't discussed, which I thought was very interesting about the... Uh, is the mic on? Sorry, Anna, is it? Can you just I make sure? I don't think it is. Hello? Yes, yeah, now. That's better. 
One of the things that were not discussed that I thought was very interesting about the Hyde Show was that the space at Cat House is a relatively enclosed cube. And when you walk in, the impact of the hugeness of these paintings in such a small space is very interesting because you would think that you would feel completely overwhelmed, but you don't. Um, it, That's right. There's something about the way that they make you feel in there that was kind of like, reminded me of the Rothko Chapel in, in Houston where the paintings, again, with the romantic and the size, bring you to another place in, in a kind of a romantic way. Oceanic experience of being surrounded, surround sound, exactly. so a quadraphonic painting. Well, I think, yeah. I think the experience is very much enhanced by the fact that you come down that blank white corridor first, and then you're yeah, in I would object to your um, use of the pronoun you. I, I, I didn't experience that. I felt very much like I was actually set adrift, and the waves were 20 feet high, and they were trying to wash me under. That's what I felt. So when I saw, went, there was a dog, and that's, uh, there, was, there, was, there was me, and then there was a lovely woman who had a little dog, who was sort of snipping and snapping as I went through the job. And I was like, right. well, this is an interesting, I mean, it was you know, Saturday afternoon, she was out for, uh, out for a walk. And that sort of absolutely took me out of the sort of mm. realm of, sort of Caspar David Friedrich style, yeah. sort of, mm -hmm. you know, sublime experience, and mm. back into Brooklyn. Mm. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I would dog less. <laughs> And I'd also been buffeted by this icy wind when I went mm. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I saw the Majumdar show. I did, haven't seen James Hyde's show yet, but I understand it's been extended another week. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. um, yes. I followed, I followed James's work um, for a long time, and his intellectual interests do interest me. Um, from what you describe, what, the way you were talking about his work, it sounded much more interesting as an idea. I'd like to go and evaluate it myself. It actually reminded me of a, a British painter called Therese, Therese yeah. Alton, a little bit just on the view, uh, viewing on the screen there. And she mm -hmm. hasn't been seen much in New York lately, but it did remind me of her 80s paintings. Take a look at them. Um, I went to see uh, the Stephen Harvey show and I hadn't seen his earlier work only in reproduction. Um, this work seemed very undernourished and unpainted and unfinished and unresolved to me. It looked like, uh, you know, he, he quit halfway or he didn't even resolve, didn't, got, off, got a good start but then didn't know how to end it. They felt unresolved and that small space wasn't easy to look at them either from a distance. Um, so interesting. That reminds me of the old joke about the cat skills when the, the man complains that uh, the food was in it. The food is inedible in such small portions. Yeah. So, if if the if the work is unresolved, it wouldn't really ma make much difference what well, distance you were. Uh, I go to Stephen Harvey Gallery regularly, and sometimes right. sometimes the shows there are very satisfying. This wasn't. Right. Okay. Sure enough. We should get you on the panel. A forthright <laughs> negation of uh, something we're looking at. Mm. Any any further comments? Yes, towards the back, I believe. I, I just uh, wait for the mic. I just wanted to disagree with that. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe not enough time was spent looking, and I thought they were very timely, and they had multiple timings to them, and the layering and the color was very specific, and I thought they were very resolved. 
So I just felt the need to say that. Right. And, but thank you for mentioning Therese Alton in relation to uh, uh, Jim Hyde. In fact, I think I wrote to him a, an email right at the time saying exactly that. that um, uh, so we're, we're definitely on the same page. And she is a, a painter who was definitely riffing on, uh, in the early work, romantic uh, mm -hmm. painting and also on Titian and Rembrandt um, um, within a kind of contemporary abstraction. And interestingly, when we come on to talk about Susan Phillips, um, she's another artist who's made a whole body of work on Dowland's lacrime. So there's a little historic footnote for us. Um, I think in view of our hefty agenda, oh yeah, one more comment. We'll take one more comment on the, this side of the hall, which has been neglected. Hello. I wonder if you can escape a conversation about abstraction and representation when we're talking about paintings on digital prints, which are highly scalable, malleable, media that are then uh, decided finally by the artist to be a certain scale and then responded, you know, he's responding to them. But we're talking about, did, did you lose the sense of that media underneath the painting or did it stay with, did that conversation evaporate because of the painterly qualities or can we talk about, does the conversation about abstraction versus representation, or abstraction and representation together continue because of the digital, the, because there are digital representations underneath the paint? It disappeared for me in the experience of the gallery. Um, uh, more intellectually, I would agree with you. I think that, that, that thinking about them afterwards, mm -hmm. um, uh, the, the, that, that, um, that question of scale uh, and that question of, of um, uh, malleability um, is pretty central to, to the work. But within the, in, in front of them, no, I didn't, I didn't mm -hmm. feel that at all. No. I mean, the earlier ones so are they very really clear. Were just that departure a points. They really were departure yeah. opportunities. I, I, yeah. in, in my view, and, and you know, you could even call them pretexts. I don't think that. Mm. that you know. Yeah. Whereas, as, as Karen is saying, how you get that, there uh, is how, what you end up with. In in, in the corridor leading uh, in the front foyer of right. the space no. are two much earlier works on the painter Brill, uh, where uh, the image is dominated by the scan and the painterly intervention mm -hmm. is relatively, uh, is, this, is the second fiddle, as it and were. And the painterly intervention seems completely arbitrary. Right. Um, but in, in front of the, you know, I, I think if I hadn't known how the, uh, the Magnasco paintings were made, I, it wouldn't have occurred to me. Yeah. Right. For what it's worth, I don't think I've ever seen a Magnasco in person. I think Annette I've probably, has. Annette really? has. Yeah. If I have, well, they're not one of the Met. One of these I is from walked the Met. By yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sure you have. But <laughs> yes. I mean, I know him from art history textbooks. Yeah. I do not. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They're slightly better in actuality. Right. <laughs> <laughs> He's a pretty minor painter by yeah. most of our standards. It's those faces I can't stand. <laughs> well, um, choice of a bad painter is itself mm -hmm. uh, significant and, and, and not, not and, and worthy of, of discussion and comment in itself. But I would like to, <laughs> to, pro to move on now. So let's have our third uh, loop, please, uh, uh, technicians. Uh, we're, we're going to look, who was my third? The third is, um, I believe, Mr. Rose um, in, uh, back in Gowanus. Um, uh, lost our commentary there, or my commentary, but luckily I was here, so if, 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 
if anyone can reconstruct the, the genius of what I wrote this morning, probably I'm the man for it. But um, um, in view of the um, um, Anita's show that we're going to be coming up to look at, we, we decided in the green room, by the way, that there were just too many Zs and Ws, and we were just going to bottle out and oh, pull, I've been pull practicing. Her Oh, give us a rendition of it. Bershikovska, yes. Okay. Bershikovska. Very good. I was putting the uh, I was putting the emphasis on the first syllable, but Grezhikovska. But Grezhikovska. Uh, but oh, well, um, well, well, usually we'll you get past all those Z's and Y's as quickly as you can. Exactly. And Susan Phillips has got an S Z too. Well, yeah, even though she's Scottish, yeah, it gives her a kind of. Oh, that thing is pure affectation. It could be, or or some Dutch ancestry. Oh yeah. Actually, if we have any either Polish or sympathetic towards the Polish cause. Um, which would be better? I just want to get, I want to be PC here. Would it be more honorable to, to murder the name but attempt it, or, or, or just go with the first name? Who votes for, who votes for murder? Oh, well. And, and, and who votes, for, and who, who votes really for first name? Who mean, votes for first name? Okay, I think the first name wins. Okay. But we're not there yet. We're, we're with, um, with our Israeli um, race in America, um, deconstructor of uh, the, the the enclosed space, mm. the sarcophagus, the the uh, uh, the tunnel. One thinks of perhaps, well, hiding in the Second World War or trying to uh, escape or plot something mischievous from Gaza. There's, I mean, if you're Israeli, you, you, really, kind of, you really got all that. Well, you? I'm just thinking that if, you, if as soon as the press release tells me the guy's born in Jerusalem, uh, a whole new level of a layer of meanings kind of inevitably seep out of a decision to make a, a tunnel out of this uh, entrance. Well, um, you have a narrow space with yes. a staircase in it. There's not a lot else you can do with it. Right. I am speaking as someone who has lived with an architect for more years than I care to admit. Okay, <laughs> right. That's, that's good to know. That's, uh, that's a useful... Uh, uh, uh. But I mean... Um, Given a small space, given a small space, one can either work through one's artistry to uh, expand upon it and to, to, to give the illusion of, of bigger space, or one can play with the theatricality of a restricted space. Um, Jason, what was your what was your sensation upon walking down this uh, tunnel? Uh, my physical sensation was not overwhelming. Um, I. I, I, I um this has the singular fortune or misfortune to have opened at the, time, at the same time as one of the most important shows of the decade, namely the Bruce Nauman retrospective at yeah. MoMA and PS1. And it's impossible yes. um, for mm. a young artist working in this idiom um, at any time uh, in, in, mm. in his career um, not to have the specter of Nauman over his mm. shoulder. The fact that the biggest Nauman retrospective yeah. of all time mm. is just up the road um, uh, makes, it, makes it particularly hard. Um, I didn't find it particularly claustrophobic, but that's because I knew that I was getting into the main gallery. As mm -hmm. as, and maybe yes. that is, um, but um, the lighting was an, an interesting um, mm. uh, way in which um, uh, the, enclosed, um, the enclosed nature of this um, uh, hallway was emphasized. Um, uh, there was um, relatively little ambient light from either mm -hmm. side of it, and, and this sort of like uh, waxy sodium kind of um, coloring um, that was in there, and that 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 did, did do um, a small bit for me. I can't say that I had um, any um, 
um, deeper engagement with psychological uh, uh, matters of compression or, or, or disappearance or, or um, being hidden. Um, uh, and certainly nothing that would um, make me think that, that, um, uh, that I couldn't see it more interestingly in a Nauman show uh, just up the road. Um, I, 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 I don't, you know, um, I don't regret seeing it. I would never go that far. But, but, but um, it did seem to me to be um, uh, uh, solving for an architectural problem within the space of the gallery and, and, and not mm. doing much else. Right, right. Seth, were you able to gain, uh, have, do you have some more sympathy in your reading of what, what's going on there? I do. I did, I did have some. I, I, um, I have a tendency with some shows to just take the artist at his or her word. Mm -hmm. So I feel I completely ignored the fact that it was a hallway or a tunnel that essentially um, enforced a kind of uh, certain kinds of parameters on what work could exist in it uh, or exploit the space. Um, and I just, I just went down the tunnel. But the thing, and the thing that really initially arrested me was the arm and it made me think of Robert Gober, and I thought of what you just said Robert about Gober. Robert Gober, and I just thought of what you just said about theatricality, and, every, and, it, and that actually made um, all these sort of nebulous thoughts cohere for me right now in realizing that one of the ways that the piece really failed is that, um, and I, again, this has nothing to do with it being a hallway, but it was that coming out of the hallway, I came into, and this is just a matter of timing, uh, a, pho a photographer setting up to shoot the group show that was adjacent. Mm -hmm. So it completely broke the illusion for yeah. me. And I needed that illusion, sort of like I needed it, or no, sort of in the way that Robert Gober can do this thing where he gives you a quotidian object, just two sinks. But, you ha but it resonates deeply. You have a sense that there is a profound narrative behind these things. And the, the show could have done that. It could have given me a sense of there being this profound narrative behind this arm snaking out of this wall. But it broke it as soon as I, as I rounded the corner. It just it, it fell apart. Um, so that's unfortunate. Um, uh, I do think that... that, that that if I hadn't had that experience, it might have read differently to me. Yes. I think that um, the, the Nauman reference is, um, is, is so striking that it, it's, it's, it must be, it's hard not to read it as being in some way a commentary. Um, although Nauman does not have an exclusive either on claustropho claustrophobic space no. or mm -hmm. on casts of the body. And in fact, um, um, uh, Anita's photography um, uses, uh, it's, we've got two rubber casts in, in, in one evening. So um, um, it, my problem with the work was, um, well, of course, being the moderator of this panel, I, uh, my heart sank at, at, at how little we were getting when we got there. But that's, I tried to overcome that prejudice as quickly as I could. Um, the, 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 it, the, the balance, however, between the objects within the installation and the installation itself mm. seemed to me unsatisfactory because mm. um, um, uh, the, the snake, by the way, I didn't even notice till I was putting the film together this morning, um, but the... the uh, underneath the stairs. Underneath yeah. the stairs. Yeah. Uh, the, there was only one. The little, the little panopticon, however, really intrigued me, and I really liked that a lot. And 
at the artist's website, uh, why, wanted why to see was more it of down them. there at the I floor no, where you could uh, see it. It wasn't. There was no reason for it to be on the floor in terms of relations. to be extraneous relations, to this, you know. And then there was this really not very good drawing on the wall. Right, um, right. It also gets to one of my great um, uh, angers in, in, and I'm not blaming the artist for this. This is a more general concern in which um, uh, certain really important figures of French theory are taught in art school, and then mm -hmm. the artists seem to think that they're supposed to make pictures of the things that the mm -hmm. French theorists wrote about. Mm -hmm. like You're supposed to use the theory of the panopticon to think about right. yeah. um, justice and society more generally. You're not supposed to actually make panopticon. Right. right. Um, <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I, the snake, I thought, had a certain amount of charm. And you, yes. as you were, uh, you know, as you were finally leaving, uh, oh, there's the snake. That was a kind of reward right. for having been there in the first place. I completely missed it. I, I it's too bad. It was the best part. It was the I best saw, part. <laughs> I saw the image in David's uh, intro. Yeah. 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 Well, it adds an Edenic quality to the, mm -hmm. um, the fall. Hopefully, you don't want to have a fall if you're looking at right. this. Look, um, uh, I say, nonetheless, kudos to, uh, uh, to, to the artist and to, and to Ortega y Gasset for having the, um, the wherewithal to put together uh, uh, an installation series for such a, a diminutive space within, within the uh, project space. Um, and uh, I look forward to seeing more of Rose elsewhere and looking, look forward to seeing more responses to this odd little space, the skirt, at uh, Ortega y Gasset in the future. Um, now we can indeed, um, I think our next show to look at, if we can have the next loop, please, um, is, this is loop number four. Ah, right. We're going to circle back to uh, Anita at the end. But um, um, so, Susan Phillips at Tanya Banakta Gallery. Um, two quite major works. Um, what do, we, what do we make of this, Seth? There's something about the way performers work at, especially performers who are musicians, especially musicians who are classically trained, especially musicians who are classically trained who, who use violins. There's something... <laughs> Come, don't stop there. Let's go for another. Yeah, is, Especially can you be trained musicians who play the violin and concentrate on the late romantic repertoire of the. Uh, but the, no, there's something searching about that kind of um, that kind of performance. Do you get the sense that a violinist um, is looking for something when they are performing um, a piece of classical music, and that installation, um, Philip's installation, gave me a kind of sense or gave me those resonances that come off that kind of mm. experience. Because the music is in, in and out of sync with the violinist's uh, motions, mm -hmm. um, there's a sense in which she's catching something that, she's, that, she, that performers typically reach for but then she loses it again. And so the sort of loneliness and isolation that I feel and that the camera work emphasizes really is augmented by that sense of this, when you are performing um, um, 
as as that kind of musician, i.e., one with a, with that kind of instrument, it always feels to me like the audience is almost always incidental. Like you happen to be there, but really, here's this composition, here's this sort of roadmap to something, and I'm looking for something ineffable, and I'm I'm sometimes grasp it, and when they do grasp it, when somebody really finds themselves in the music, you can hear that. And it's, and it's, it's beautiful, it's transcendent. I mean, it, it's, it's one of the, I think it's one of the, 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 the key ways that repeats in our culture, where you can, you can actually see and feel that, someone else's transcendence. So what I liked about the work was that it gave me a sense of that experience. Mm. Mm. I disagree for the exact same reasons. Okay. Um, the, um, the, I really enjoyed lots of Susan Phillips works for a long time. Um, and first, before I, I do this, I have to tell my favorite Susan Phillips joke, which is that um, uh, I used to live in London and I would do the art galleries in East London on a Sunday and next to Maureen Paley's gallery, there was a Pentecostal church and you would often hear this like booming music from behind the door, or the closed door of the Pentecostal church. And I, my friend walked by and said, oh, I always thought it was a Susan Phillips. Um, but, no, was Someone, thank you. Um, but yes, the... Uh, the, for me, the, um, the fact that the art world has metabolized uh, choreography, independent film, uh, poetry to a certain degree, and has had trouble um, um, uh, 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 ingesting classical music, as I think for many of the reasons that you are, you are describing, and I, I've often very much admired in Susan Phillips um, the deep commitment to music and to the manners in which music uh, mm -hmm. resists um, uh, uh, um, some of the quicker um, or less reflective um, uh, ways in which uh, the international biennial and yes. fair art scenes yes. necessarily work. Um, many of her, I mean, most of her works uh, do not have a visual component. Mm -hmm. um, uh, most famously, the one at Documenta, uh, not the last one, but the one before that, in which you would go to the, um, the train station where people were being deported and you would hear mm -hmm. these sort of um, mm -hmm. mournful dirges. Um, I felt almost betrayed by the inclusion of images um, uh, mm. in this one for many of the reasons that I think that mm. you liked it is because it got to this more uh, theatrical and, and um, uh, personal mm. engagement with the music maker mm. um, that I, I, I don't want to um, uh, uh, jump on you for feeling that. I, I only think that I, um, I've always appreciated her for, for a much more intellectual engagement with the place of music within a visual medium and what you can do with things you cannot look at. Mm -hmm. um, and I felt looking at a woman with a violin concentrating on her, mm -hmm. um, on her sheet music took me out of that experience mm -hmm. and into the realm of, of spectacle. In a funny way, the, in, in the other work, the lacrime work, The Seven Tears, the, um, the, the making such a theatrical presence out of the turntables and yeah. their adjacent monitors um, is, is the same kind of problem because it's, it's literalizing a representation mm -hmm. of the making mm -hmm. of the sound that you're right. experiencing. Mm -hmm. Whereas, as, I say, as you say, the, the more ambitious intellectually uh, earlier work um, took, took, took that visual element away um, and um, hmm. uh, put you more in your own body listening to the, mm -hmm. to the sound. I, I had uh, Jason's problem with the, uh, with the video. Um, it first of all, it was it was in, enormously predictable. You knew what was going to happen. 
And if you went around to the other side of the screen, you saw it was reversed and she was playing with the wrong hand because mm -hmm. it was reversed. Um, I, I did, I, you know, I have stood for three hours in front of a David Gordon piece and not been able to leave and gotten very, very strange looks from the guard. Mm -hmm. um, so it, 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 I wanted to be engaged and I, and I wasn't. But I had, I had much more trouble with the Dowland piece, and mm. I, I think that may be because I really, really care about music of that period, and I did not feel, and I know a fair amount about it, um, and I really didn't feel that there was anything that she did that uh, made me think about Dowland, that made me reconsider Dowland. I really did not see the point of the mm -hmm. paintings. Mm -hmm. um, well, the splitting of an individual composition into um, separate recordings yeah, of each. A lot of people so, are doing that. Yeah, Henri Sala most, most, most And, and what's, well, I'm yeah. drawing a blank. He was at the uh, New Museum last yeah, year. Yeah, Henri Sala. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Uh, who was, you know, reconfiguring them and, and layering them and, and making you think about what you're hearing in a, a way that you never imagined doing. That's right. And, and also within yeah. classic, within music making itself, mm -hmm. not within the art world. Mm -hmm. um, um, Alvin Lussier by taking yeah. um, the, the Beethoven piece, mm. um, Bless the House, or whatever, mm. whatever that's what it's called, and having a live orchestra responding uh, to uh, recordings and then the recordings layering upon themselves. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's a well-trodden territory. Yeah. Maybe I can ask you guys a general question because it's one I've never been able to answer, which is that you now cannot walk into an art gallery without seeing people dancing in front of you, right? Dance is everywhere in, in the mm -hmm. art world. Most independent cinema has been moving into the art world. Music somehow hasn't made it yet, and that is interesting when you think that, of course, Philip Glass, Steve Reich, these people were at the Whitney before they were at Carnegie Hall. Yeah. Now, that doesn't seem to be happening, and I wonder if you guys have any thoughts about why, about why the art world has trouble with music, particularly what we call classical music. When, when, we, when we apparently used to all aspire to the condition of music. Exactly, yeah. Mm -hmm. Is it because music's just better? It could, it, it could very well be. I, I, there is one um, exception. I, I was at the Sharjah Biennial, I think it last year, and I saw a piece by the Odalith group. Oh, sure. Uh, which featured the um, the compositions of oh, what is this musician's name? Um, a black gay composer Julius who did Eastman. minimalist music. Julius Eastman. That's yeah. it, Julius yeah. Eastman. I know this and yeah. I was riveted. I I <laughs> tend not to appreciate video work, um, which goes on and on. But um, this I think lasted for an hour, and I I. I didn't notice the time passing. And there what they had was, uh, uh, it was actually quite spectacular. They had people in strange makeup um, at two different pianos and uh, the, um, the, uh, the way it was shot, um, sometimes the images of um, these piano players were combined, these pianists were combined, but they also had avatars seemingly standing in for um, Julius Eastman delivering what was essentially his preface before a particular performance at, I think, a school in a University of Illinois, I think, staged um, a concert of his, and he had this very long uh, uh, introduction in which he explained why he used particular words in the composition, uh, or in the title of the composition. And it's just, 
there, it's, I found that it was possible to have that experience where the music is layered, mm -hmm. the music is, 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 um, is fascinating, but the spectacle, the actual way that it's staged, its rendition is staged, is also equally right. fascinating. I would also not sure I uh, agree empirically with the, with the assertion that uh, music is somehow a stranger within the visual arts. So think of Bjorn Kjartansson, for instance, with uh, yeah. various, uh, the, the National, and with those people in that country house playing, making music sure. together, and the Schubert leader piece. Mm. But I'm also thinking of... Janet Cardiff, who I've always thought mm -hmm. actually is superior to Susan Phillips when it comes to yeah. things you can do with a set of monitors. Um, and also, I'm, I don't know his name, but there was a guy who represented France at the um, uh, Venice Biennale. Xavier Villon, the last one, the one who had the, 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 what do you call it, the music studio. Yes. Yeah. Um, but a lot of this is pop and jazz. Um, and I mean, you know, there's a, I mean, Janet, Runyon's Janet done both. Janet Cardiff isn't. Janet Cardiff isn't, and yeah. one of the I mean, uh, Kjartan's son is on Schubert leader. But, but mm. I, I think we could probably come up with a few more, <laughs> but, but you're, that doesn't, even if we did, it I mean, wouldn't invalidate your observation. The piece at, at uh, the Biennale was magical. Sure. There's people mm. in the boat going back and forth in the Arsenale. But just, yeah. just to round the point off, we're, we're, we're talking now about visual artists who have an interest in music, um, whereas it is no, now... No, these, uh, these are visual artists who, for whom music is a... or artists for whom music is an enormous component of what they do. That is, that is all well and good. I guess what I'm trying to say is that at MoMA, there is now a show by choreographers. Right? I mean, by people who are principally choreographers. Mm. There are also frequently shows by people who are principally filmmakers. Yeah. I am waiting for Steve Reich to get a show, mm -hmm. to say nothing of young composers that are, you know, like Missy Mazzoli or people who have shows at the Armory. That doesn't seem to be happening. Are you waiting That's for true. the Carnegie Hall to put on a show of uh, Gerhard Richter? I mean, it seems, it seems to be, I mean, what, what is well, the point don't, of? Well, don't forget the Metropolitan Opera's series of, hmm. of ghastly exhibitions. Well, <laughs> that's in a very small space. And yes, some, of them, some of them have not been ghastly. Some of them have been rather good, the Peyton and others. But that's, um, and, and kudos to the Met, even if you don't like uh, uh, her taste, uh, Dodie's taste, kudos to them for having a visual component. Mm -hmm. But, but it seems odd to me, it, it seems like a throwback to the, the, sorry, the, uh, the countercultural 60s, mm. 70s dematerialization of the art object sort of phenomenon that one, that, that a, a museum uh, establishes its avant-gardist credentials by showing anything it can get its hands on that's yeah. not visual. Mm -hmm. um, it, that seems to me a kind of um, a redundant process at this stage. Um, uh, well, it's one also can make great incentive. I mean, well, one can make great exhibitions out of non-visual subjects it, with an enormous amount of imagination. But uh, I don't think we need. I don't think we should be complaining. We haven't had a, a Reich or a glass exhibition exhibition at the. Um, what I'd like to see someday is a really good Morton Feldman exhibition because of, precisely because of his engagement with the visual arts. Right. Mm -hmm. We're getting very off topic here. Well, uh, you can Pandas, also involve John Cage with that. Exactly, Cage and Feldman because of their interactions on 8th Street with so many. And there was one Icelandic musician who did get a MoMA retrospective that we all have forgotten about. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes, of course. Oh. Way. We are very off topic, I'm sorry. Oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, but it's it sometimes, um, when four highly intelligent, very, uh, well, three, uh, highly intelligent, very uh, 
uh, focused and motivated critics are instructed to speak for 10 to 12 minutes on, um, um, on, on Susan Phillips and end up talking about Bjorn and um, uh, Bjork. Bjork. Bjork and Bjorn. Right, Bjork and Bjorn. Uh, that in itself is a kind of, um, whether intended or not, a critique of, of the show. Um, let's, um, let's now go to our last show of the evening, um, if we could. Um, at uh, Lyles and King. And here one almost wanted a soundtrack. The, the, the narrative, the, the, the perversity, the intensity of some of these images. Um, uh, Jason, why don't you kick us off as you've been practicing her name? Anjeta Gwesikowska. Uh, if I'm not mistaken. Um, <laughs> I had seen a previous show at Lyles and King um, in which she had um, used uh, uh, all white or all black makeup and then shot herself under solarization and, and, mm -hmm. and, and, and transformed her face in all sorts of interesting ways. Um, I thought this one was much stronger. I thought the show was pretty great, mm -hmm. actually. Mm -hmm. um, it certainly seems to me conversant with a tradition in um, uh, Polish... Uh, conceptual photography and, and, and a lot of sort of unofficial Polish art that, and Central European um, art that has a quite strong psychological component and, and often a um, uh, performative component. Um, uh, the, um, uh, the works with the, what do you call them, the prostheses, uh, the, or the, what do you call them, the, the masks, masks. Yes. are of less interest to me, but not, not with none. It is, the, it, is, it, is, it is the mother and daughter series, I think, yeah. that I want to concentrate on because it's, it's weird um, and really, really good in some ways. Um, the photographs themselves, and how often do I even go into a gallery and get to see a series of, 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 of 25 images and then get to see them in a book? That's a relatively rare form of um, um, uh, uh, exhibition making these days. Um, the prosthesis of the, or not, the, 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 the effigy mm -hmm. of the mother, of the artist herself, um, is, it's not Madame Tussauds realistic. It's a little less good mm -hmm. than that. And that's interesting in itself. It often, it's in a state of sort of deliquescence. Well, it's missing a few limbs. Yes, yeah, it, it cuts off at the, um, uh, at, oh. the, at the bottom of the torso. Um, and the daughter seems to be having the time of her life, mm -hmm. right? Um, the, there are scenes that are uh, weirdly violent, scenes um, that, in which um, uh, that are almost funereal, um, and yet whenever the daughter appears, she seems to be at best uh, enjoying herself and sometimes is ecstatically happy. Mm. Um, the, you would need to be Melanie Klein in order to, to um, <laughs> unwind the, all the intricacies of what this might mean. Um, but, at the narrowest level, the artist using her child mm -hmm. as the model and using herself as the prop mm. is for me um, almost like the, the, like the zero level of Freudianism, right? Like it's like <laughs> how much can the love of the mother for the child be grafted onto the fetish object? And the fact that the fetish object is the image mm -hmm. of the artist herself puts you in this unbelievably uh, creepy, but in my view, quite satisfying yeah. um, sort of Freudian abyss. Yeah, it's not the Oedipus complex, it's the Electra complex, I, I imagine. Mm. Well, okay, don't worry about yeah. this. Then. No, no fathers involved there. <laughs> yeah, anyway. That's right, Electra. Yeah. Right. Oh, there's no fathers involved, that's true. 
Okay. But the relationship between the daughter and the mother, that is to say the object mother, is clearly yes. one of love. It is not, um, uh, she's not having fun with, uh, she's not like right. beating the thing up, yeah. she's not running on. It's an emotional relationship mm -hmm. that this daughter who's what, eight, ten? Yeah. She's, not a, she's not a baby, yeah. um, is having with these images. And, and, and I was, um, I mean, I don't use the, the phrase creeped out that often, but that really is the only, it's a creepy, creepy series of works. And did, ones you, that, yeah. did you open the book? I did, yeah. yeah. Did you see the first image? Well, of course, did yeah. you notice the first image? Yeah. I might not remind have started the first the image. No, remind me. The first image is of that, the mannequin, the prosthesis, the, 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 the surrogate mother in the pla plastic, like in a field. Oh, wrapped in yeah, plastic. Yeah, yeah, I did yeah. not yeah. see that. Wrapped in plastic. It becomes, you, you feel like yeah. this should be the last image somehow. Right. You know. I, oh, I, but I, I thought it was fascinating that it yeah, was the first ex image. Exactly. Right? Because exactly. she's saying it's like, it is yeah. like a piece of detritus because that you Because found. there's the thing that, that mm. looks like this is being disposed of. Exactly. But it was the first image. Um, I was fascinated by the show. I mean, it's mm. very, very much in the spirit, as you say. There's a lot of uh, Central European and Eastern European photography, which in, in, uh, even, uh, even someone like Schudek, which, who's not making images of people, but has that same haunting atmosphere. Mm. Um, I've, I've went in with having seen that previous show, which I thought, okay, you know. And I was really, really uh, hooked on this one. I, mm. I found it fascinating. I found the images compelling. The, the dynamic uh, between the, the child and this object was fascinating. And the, the, the image of, of putting the, the portable mother into the wagon and yes. moving down there. I mean, it, it had so many layers and permutations. The manner in which and the, the mother becomes the scale of the, of the daughter. Exactly, itself, and, um, the well, and the yeah. quality of the images, the, the uh, tonalities and the textures, I thought yes. it was just terrific. And the effortless segue from black and white to yeah. color yeah. was was. Which you were striking. almost not sure you were seeing at right. one point. But you know, more than just, I mean, the sort of um, psychological um, resonances that, that, that come off of this work, it's also, it made me think of this sort of the the doll the the plaything of the child as a memento mori mm -hmm. as like a reminder of her own mortality that she rather than being sort of like shocked and creeped out by which is why that with. image in the plastic felt yeah. like the last image yeah. well yeah, yeah. yeah. okay yeah, yeah. i could see that yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It was Kokoschka, right, who, who had a, a doll of, of, had of, of Alma Mahler. Yes. 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 That was yeah. a doll, yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, but she apparently had all her parts. Oh. <laughs> a fully functioning surrogate, yeah. yes. Um, but yes, the, 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 maybe in, in, in addition to talking about the, um, the, the effigy, we should talk about the daughter, right? I mean, mm. you know, um, <laughs> the ethics of uh, shooting children um, is one that, that photographers have run up against quite often in the 20th century. Um, and uh, the daughter seems, as I said, to be having the time of her life in these photographs. I'm sure no yeah. children were harmed in the making of this series. <laughs> Nevertheless, um, you know, imagine knocking on your kid's door one day and saying, you know, guess what, honey? I've got this, like, this fun thing for you to play with. 
it's me um, in a sort of like child size form. Um, you know, what is the um, the critical assessment? I mean, or, or moral assessment that we as viewers make of uh, including the child? Couldn't it have gone the other way? The mother Mommy, I've had. I've always wanted. Uh, yeah. Can't I be in the photographs with right, this? Right. Mm -hmm. no. Unknowable. Sure. Um, but yeah. Um, if your mom's a photographer and you're a little girl and you're that performance. Can I? Age. Can I put lipstick Why on not? it? You know, so. Um, I don't. We don't know. Mother knows. Mother knows best. Yeah. yeah. I think. Um, I think we can. Uh, what, what What I'd like to ask, though, is um, uh, the the surrealism of these works. Mm. Uh, there, there's um, Man Ray seems to be a very obvious uh, uh, art historical precedent for for many of the images, um, of or just for the underlying conceit. Um, uh, do we feel that uh, that that she what, what is her relationship to surrealism, would we say? Hard to know. I mean, it, it seems to me it's much more, from, from the little I know about her work, I, I think I've seen one other show and maybe a book of reproductions or something. Um, she seems to be fascinated with the idea of disguise and mm -hmm. surrogates mm -hmm. and Oh, it seems much more about that than about right. surrealism. Right. But surrealism is the displacement of desire onto objects, and that tradition mm -hmm. in surrealism is one I think that I could I could. But do, does desire really come into it with the child? Well, no, sexual desire, but there is a love I think between the love. I agree yeah. with you. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, there's a, there's a there's a Polish photographer from the 1970s called Sofia Kulik, um, who I yes. always mm -hmm. liked. Yeah. And in the 1970s, when um, getting color in, uh, uh, film in, in Poland was no small. Feet. Uh, she made a series uh, with her, her child, much younger. Um, Activities with Dobromiec, it's, it's called, in which the child um, is uh, uh, sort of put through a number of um, uh, various poses. Um, it's a little like Mary Kelly, um, mm. or, or uh, you know, it's 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 all the sort of mother-daughter relationships through objects, and some of them are are. are Disturbing, like the child is put in the sink, the child is put in the mm -hmm. toilet. Um, um, I was reminded of, of that tradition very much, and, mm. and I wish I knew more about Central European yeah. photography. But this relationship between performance and, 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 mm -hmm. and photography is one too that. But it also had a, a romantic quality that made me think a little bit of Sally Mann with oh, uh, yeah. her relationship yeah. with yeah. children. The one image where the child has the, um, the surrogate mother, and they're both sort of underwater, they're both sort of submerged. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I find I found that really fascinating because it feels like that was a chance for the child to like play at dying. Mm. Like what is it like to be inert? What is it like to be like this object I have? Mm -hmm. um, so in a way too, it's, uh, it, 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 it's, it's a, it gives a child, I mean uh, dolls always do this, but it gives a child an opportunity to essentially test boundaries, right? Mm -hmm. my, my initial feeling of, of ickiness was very quickly subsided once I worked out what was going on, mm. and I actually found it a very uh, joyful and playful mm. exhibition. Mm. And the, the, the weirdness that, that Jason identified um, was an initial impact that um, quickly dissolved, actually. Mm -hmm. I thought the, actual, the sculpture, by the way, was superbly made, mm -hmm. uh, just as a, a thing yeah. in itself. Yeah. I don't I know if it is a body cast, but it has a, has a kind of, the, the surface has almost a, um, well, a sculptural quality. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I think the scale thing was, is, is that, that was touched upon is very important mm. because as a, f a fragment of the mother, it becomes the same size as the, the child, mm. you know, and, mm. and she played with that. I mean, there's that one image where the, the mannequin is, is propped up 
in the bed and the child is behind it almost mm. hidden with the mm. arm coming around and mm. there's all kinds of uh, surprising combinations that way. Mm -hmm. right. mm -hmm. Well I think it's a good moment now to bring in our audience for the last three shows we've been looking at. Um, uh, this one um, and uh, Rose and um, um, Phillips. Um, so whichever you'd like to speak to is fine. Uh, I see a hand in the back row. Let's only have hopefully the mic that works. Um, but do please wait for the mic because uh, we're recording. Thank you, thank you. Working? Okay. Uh, yeah, I wanted to submit a couple names to this question about um, uh, musicians mm. working today as artists, young, young artists. Um, one's Tim Simmons <laughs> sitting right over here. These are people that I've worked with at the gallery, but uh, he's working on a project that involves opera and performance. Say the name again, if you will. Um, Tim Simmons. Tim Simmons. Right here. Hello. Um, and right now, actually, Federica just went there yesterday, but on the corner of 56th Street and Broadway, you know, in the shadow of Carnegie Hall, basically, is a performance by an artist named uh, Evan Shinners. Uh, it's, his, his AKA is WTF Bach. And he's a bona fide, say, interpreter of Bach. Um, he's probably 30, went to Juilliard, but has always been very uncomfortable, let's say, easily fitting into categories that classical music sort mm. of determines for him. So there's a performative element and a developing video art project around Bach and other music that would, you know, I can't recommend it enough, actually. It's, he's got a pop-up there for a month, all of November, uh, on 56th and Broadway, the corner, where he's playing uh, six hours a day, and then there's musical performances each night by other artists. Um, and there's a, it's called, called a box shop. Mm. And you can buy t-shirts and there's, there's, there's art objects and other things that Evan has developed. Right. So he's really Excellent. spectacular. Thank you for that, David. The other music show I should just mention quickly, of course, is Jason Moran. That was at the Walker and is now at the ICA in Boston. It's right. And also the, the last show that took place at, um, or the show that we reviewed here on the panel um, at... Uh, Okay, not going to remember the name. But um, let's not forget the expression, the, the Angra's violin, that uh, <laughs> there is indeed the very notion of viol d'Angre. Yes. I like your nails, David. Is that a question or a comment? No, that was just a, that was a segue. I have a question about these comments about, oh, will this work? I've seen, like, I've seen it before. I don't feel like I feel like it could have been done in any decade. Is that mic on? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Did Can you hear me? Oh, I, I think, yeah, say it again. Though, but, um. So, like, with the paintings, you all were like, oh, well, I feel like that could have been done in the 80s, or I could feel like that could have been done in the 60s. But then you just talked about this Polish photographer and said, oh, well, this reminds me of work in the 70s. But you weren't like, oh, well, that could have been done in the 70s or 80s. So is there something about this mm. Polish photographer that doesn't feel like it could have been done 30 years ago, or do we hold painting to a different standard than photography? I'm just... It's very, very perceptive, very good question. Yes. Um, anyone want to tackle that one? And say one thing is, is, is novelty is not the marker of, of artistic quality, nor is uh, um, uh, the uh, fact that it's, it's been done before uh, proof of uh, artistic uh, 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 failure. What I would say is that um, uh, when things look like things that came before, a critic is under an obligation to figure out why. 
um, and whether that comes from um, a, uh, I, at, at worst, pure ignorance, at best, um, a, uh, a, a deep engagement with history. Um, uh, that's part, I think, of the critical assessment, um, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Um, I think that um, the, um, I think novelty is a pretty busted flush in, in most media. And, and, and the last thing I want is for our galleries to turn into, into uh, AI <coughs> experiments in which I see things I've never seen before that I have no interest in. Um, <coughs> but, but your point is perceptive that, that we are more indulgent mm. of um, new media, uh, of, of things that came before when they come either in traditions that have um, that, are, that are less obsessed with their own forms, painting being at the very top of them, or when they come from other parts of the world. Um, and, yeah. and, 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 I, and I take the criticism seriously, yeah. Well, I don't think saying that Grzegowska's uh, work is very much within a tradition yeah. um, is the same as saying something looks like it could have been done at another time. Uh, and I, I don't think we were being particularly um, serious in, in our uh, assigning both uh, Majundar and, and James Hyde's work to uh, possibly another period. Some more comments on, 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 on the shows we've been thinking about? Uh, I just want to follow up with, yeah. with something um, else to add to, that, to this conversation about sort of critical assessment. One of the things that I, I tend to do I'd say almost, yes, most often do, is when I write um, reviews um, of visual art, I don't refer in the text to any other artists as something that the work references visually or otherwise. Because I, f I think that it's incumbent on me to not just talk, to not talk about, or not place it, this is, at least, this is how I feel my responsibility plays out as an editor at Hyperallergic and a writer there. I don't, I don't think it's important for me to place things in a sort of art historical context. I think it's more important from, to give the reader a sense of why this work, if it does at all, why it speaks to me. What it, what, it, what it causes to ha happen to me in that space interacting with it. Uh, I want to talk about how it becomes important in the, mo in the moment of encounter. And I feel like talking about art that it, um, that it might reference or it might take its cues from doesn't help me do that. Okay, that's... Uh, could, could I just add to that? Yeah. I, mean, um, I think it... I feel it's incumbent upon me to know the context, but it's not incumbent upon me to write about that context. Mm -hmm. My job is to try to figure out what that artist is doing mm -hmm. and how, and somehow communicate that, not to make comparisons with others. Mm -hmm. So I very much agree with you in that. I, I must say that my practice, I don't... Um, adhere to that standard at all because for me um, very often a, a response to a work is um, I, I, I do understand and appreciate that one beca can become t uh, academic in, in, in the correct sense of the word if one um, is obsessed by lineage and provenance uh, and parentage but, uh, but very often the work that interests me the most 
is work that is self-consciously in dialogue with art from other moments. And in those circumstances, it simply becomes um, untenable not to explore the context and probe the dialogue that's taking place. Mm. And it seemed, uh, I think, coming to our original question here, that in a way, um, painting, paintings accused or celebrates the fact that it has more, quote unquote, baggage than other mediums. And I think that um, the more we, the more time passes, the more when we think about quote unquote new mediums like video and certainly photography, which has been around for a couple of centuries now, um, that, uh, that the, the medium has undergone changes and has built up traditions. Um, but nonetheless, painting, painting just is its own traditions. It's, uh, painting is, is so rooted in its um, memories um, and, and to be painting when there are so many other modes of making images available to us in this moment, in the, this stage of the 21st century, is to, uh, is to embrace that very um, sense of tradition. So Especially I, I, what makes it contemporary. Yes. Yeah. So I, to, to me, it would, it would seem uh, not merely pointless, but actually redundant to, um, to exclude the the ghosts behind your shoulder, as, as Guston called them, when, when thinking about painting. The question is, how do you put those ghosts in the surface of, of something? Uh, I don't want to use the word new, but, but right. in, 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 within the, next, the, the, the uh, tradition of the conversation and not to simply replicate its science. How to bring in the ghosts without getting haunted. There you are. Yes. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, um, uh, no, I think that's good now. I think uh, we're going to go over the road and, and continue the conversation over some wine and pizza. And we are going to reconvene here on December the 11th uh, when uh, Faye Hirsch, Robert C. Morgan, and. Um, oh, shit. Somebody else. Sharmista <laughs> Roy. Sharmista Roy, who is with us this evening. Thank you very much, and how lovely to see you. Uh, are going to be my guests. Shows to be determined. Um, see you all then. See you all soon, and see you all then. Thank you, panelists.